Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and today on the show, we have the freedom warrior herself, Selena Kilkarni. Selena is an expert in using alternative property strategies to grow your wealth faster and more securely, and in the process, helping you to achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. Let's get started. G'day everyone. I trust that you're well and you and your family and your business are also doing well in these strange COVID times that we all find ourselves in. If you haven't already checked out the new Go All In website, I encourage you to pop on over to goallin.com.au and take a look at our brand new hub for startups and entrepreneurs. We've got some great free training and giveaways there and it's a whole bunch of new products that have been added in the last couple of days. So make sure you pop on over to goallin.com.au to find out more. Now, if this is your first time here at the Go All In podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. This podcast is for you. If you're just starting out in business, considering a business, or even if you've been a seasoned entrepreneur for years, my guests and I will give you the strategies and tactics you need to help you to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be faster than you ever thought possible. To get there, you're going to have to work hard. You have to learn some new things, but most of all, you're going to have to commit and go all in. And I created and I do this show because there's nothing I like more than eliminating roadblocks and shortcutting the path to success. In fact, I can't wait to celebrate your success with you. So make sure you reach out to me via social media or via an email from our website. Now, before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and hit the subscribe button there. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have some motivation and some go all in love right there in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family. Selena's got an important message to share and a pretty cool story as well. And if we can help just one person to break through their barriers and get unstuck, then Selena and I would have done our job here on the podcast today. Alrighty, let's get into this. Selena started her career as a chartered accountant. And after working with one of the big four for a while, she realized that the trade of accounting just wasn't creative or entrepreneurial enough for her. So she took the leap into business and investing full time. Selena's been an investor now for more than 25 years, and she admits that she found a feat in business quickly because there was no plan B. Selena's a highly engaging speaker, and her depth of knowledge in and around property and wealth creation are unlike anything that I've ever encountered before. She's a speaker, a fellow podcaster, an author, and one of my best mates. And I'm really excited she's here. So please help me in welcoming Selena Kilkarni. Selena Kilkarni, welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here. Awesome to be here, Rob. Thank you for having me. No worries. Well, we've been uh, working together for a little while now in the background doing a bunch of different things. And for the people that haven't seen it before, we've got a little um, a little playlist in the YouTube channel called The Freedom Warrior, but we haven't actually got together in the audio version of this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to doing this with you today, which is going to be lots and lots of fun. But before we get into that, for the folks that don't know you in the audience, can you maybe give us a little bit of background on you? Where are you from and how long have you been doing this property investing thing? So, uh, so I'm based down in sunny Canberra. Um, I, uh, I've been a chartered accountant for about 25 years and I've probably spent the last 12 years really becoming intimate in the space of investing. I've been investing for 20 years, but I, I've really dedicated myself to really trying to understand as many different strategies as I can how it works, what the mechanics are, what the habits of successful investors look like, and, you know, what are all the secret source magic ingredients that separates the, the people that get the big results from, from everybody else? Uh, is there a secret? Come on, just give it to us right at the front of the podcast here. What's the secret? <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I would say the, it's an art as much as anything else. Um, I'd say there's, there's not one thing, yep. but there's, you know, I think it's really important to be mindful of, of developing four key attributes, which, um, I'm happy to share, but I think it's, it's really about, um, understanding how to elevate and, and strengthen four things at the same time rather than one over another. 
So it's never just one thing that uh, makes never people successful it. anyway. It's a, it's a bunch of different things. You know, this morning um, I was checking my LinkedIn on a Monday morning and there was, a, there was probably about 30 messages there and a bunch of people connecting and I was connecting and answering messages back and this fella wrote me a message last week and said, hey, I released my book last week. And I get that all the time. People say that to me all the time in LinkedIn. And, I'm, and I always look because I, I understand what it takes to write a book and I always click their link and have a little look. But the title of his book was 20,000 or 20K to 2 million in two years. And I was like, come on, man, come on. <laughs> I went straight to his website and bought it for 30 bucks because I want to know what the secret was. <laughs> what was Every, it? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I get the book and it rocks up on my doorstep. But look, is there a secret in property that you can go from 20K to 2 million in two years? There's not, is there? Uh, look, I would say one of the attributes that's really important is uh, having an open mind. Mm. Um, you know, I've definitely found the thing that's given me exponential results is embracing the unconventional. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the truth is if you want big returns in any area, whether it's business or property or shares, you you have to be number one, looking where other people are not looking. And secondly, you have to demand a much bigger return than what society tells you is normal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A a while back, you probably don't know this about me. We've known each other for a while now. A while back must've been probably three years ago. I did a lot of day trading and um, I had a system that worked pretty well and I would sit there and create these spreadsheets for myself to set my targets and whatnot, you know, and, and day, day trading is, is a version of gambling if you're not careful. Um, and I never really felt like I was gambling, but I always had this FOMO thing going on there and it started to ring some alarm bells to me to say, Hey man, you know, like you're constantly looking at your phone. You're constantly looking at the price of something. It's moving this way or that way. And you want to jump in and do something that that's like, you know, putting, putting 20 bucks on the nose and number four and the fifth, you know, it's not much, <laughs> not much different to gambling really. Even though I didn't feel like I was addicted to it or it was some sort of problem. I, I eventually stopped doing it because I felt like it was leading down a dangerous path. But in the process of learning how to trade and getting results, I would uh, build these spreadsheets for myself and set my targets for myself. And the power of compounding came into effect. Um, And the power of compounding is really, really incredible. And it's just something that's there that we two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16. And then off you go to the races, excuse the pun, um, if you like in that analogy. But uh, I, I can tell you that the power of compounding is, is great until you have to go and put a trade on that's like you're risking like 300 grand. And I, and I would look at these spreadsheets and go, there's no way I'd put a trade on like that at 300 grand. Oh, but I would have $3 million in my trading account. It would be all right. And I'd have all of these like crazy nefarious things going around my head about how to do things. And I think part of it was related to how unconventional it actually was because I would sit there and make five or $6,000 in a day and people would work an entire week or entire month to earn that sort of coin. And I'd do it in a day. And the next day I'd lose one or $2,000, but make three or $4,000. And sometimes I would stop and just like, don't do anything for the rest of the week. But I I was bored out of my brain. It's like boring. It's boring stuff, right? But it's an alternative way of living and and alternative investments and alternative ways of doing thing are the new norm. Yeah, totally. I I too used to be uh, an avid day trader about 20 years ago. And, uh, what I would say is all of what you've said is true, but my overarching experience is that it's far too laborious time-wise. Oh, I'm and, sitting looking at a chart all day. It's like painful. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so for me, <laughs> property was just a yeah. much higher ROI on my time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing that little bit of a get to know you and uh, a little bit of fun there at the start of the podcast to, to learn about you. Pe- people come on over to the Go All In podcast, Selena, to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, can you please share with us your biggest goal in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Oh, that's a goodie. Um, look, as a chartered accountant, I, I think the conventional career path is to either stay in a, an accounting firm 
or to at least stay within industry, within the confines of some finance department. And I made the decision to step out of that in the year 2000. And I can tell you it was a fairly scary kind of decision. Mm-hmm. And I saw at that point all my peers go on to become wildly successful CFOs and CEOs and, you know, have the the fat cat salaries. And I knew that the pathway that I'd chosen was going to be um, more fraught with uncertainty, um, but I was really committed to the idea of having a purposeful existence. And <laughs> for me, property was, or well, investing in general was the creative and playful part of, you know, how to apply being an accountant or, or finance. So I have no regrets whatsoever about having become an accountant and I've maintained my designation, but I also feel that, you know, making that decision to let go of the certainty around income was a pretty big decision. Um, yeah. And you know, no regrets now whatsoever. Yeah. Looking back at it, you're like, yeah, I'd do it 10 times over, but when you're standing on the precipice of something and you've got to dive into the abyss, into that unknown, it can be scary, scary as a lot of the stories that we hear on this podcast are related to transition out of one career into another, out of a relationship, out of a, a health challenge into something better. And the most common one of course, is a career transition from a corporate job that sometimes has golden handcuffs into the complete and total unknown. If someone was listening to this, Selena, what would you say to them to encourage them to, uh, well, maybe not encourage them, but just give them a shove across the edge. What would you say? Look, I I think um, being in business for yourself or or living outside the conventional path is not for everyone. And, And I think you have to be able to live with whatever decisions you make. I think the thing that I see people do is maybe try and have one foot in each camp. Mm. Um, you know, the side hustle and, and, and things like that. And, and certainly with investing, you can do a reasonably good job of that. But I think if, you know, if you're trying to create a completely different future for yourself, at some point, you just got to let go and, you know, jump into that other one. So I guess my gentle encouragement would be to really question whether you're brave enough to take the unknown path or whether the, the need for some level of certainty is just more important. Yeah. I love it. You know, it's that Tony Robbins thing, right? He always says you need certainty, but you also need uncertainty in your life as well. Cause if things are too certain, then it's like, really, am I going to do this for the next 20 years of my life? Is that all my life is going to amount to is just to that particular thing, working for that particular person in that place. It's a scary, scary thing. What about those folks that you, uh, you saw go on to fat cat, salaries and CFO jobs and fancy cars and houses and stuff like that. Are they still in those jobs or have they kind of broken free into their own sort of practices? No, they're still, a lot of them are still in those jobs and um, getting paid handsomely. Mm. Um, But there's no question they have to give a a huge pound of flesh for it as well. Um, I think from a personal viewpoint, they've, some of them have had to sacrifice time with family um, time off, mental health, all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think the you, you need to really design what your highest values are mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, how to align with those. Um, so, you know, there's no right or wrong. There, there never is. It's just, you know, opportunity, cost and choice. Did, did you find yourself two or three months into a, a decision all those years ago, looking over your shoulder going, well, maybe I should go back to a job or did you leave the door a little bit ajar or did you slam it shut and just move forward and didn't have it <laughs> behind you? No, many times I thought, ah, oh, you know, crumbs, I, I really should just go and get a job. I could just go and get a job. Um, <laughs> It'd be easier, right? I, I tell you the life of um, the life of an entrepreneur or the life of an investor uh, is certainly up and down, lots of waves, lots of turbulence. Um, but I think the deeper you go down that pathway or down that rabbit hole, the, uh, the more stability you, you can start to carve out for yourself. And then you reach a point now where you just think crumbs, I'm, I'm unemployable. You know, no one would give me a job now. 
I've got too much on my mind of my own. I think I last about half an hour in somebody else's organization, unfortunately. <laughs> not from a not from a bad thing, but uh, just that's not how you do stuff. You know, that's not how to get it done. It's interesting. Tell me, was there anyone in your uh, in your early life that was an influence on you from an investing perspective or from an entrepreneurial perspective? Or was that something you picked up along the way yourself? Look, I, I probably started my investing pathway the same as everybody else. I, I followed the you know, the popular educators, the, the big names that were, were out there. Um, I, I don't know that I started to really question the traditional pathway until maybe about 12 years ago now. And I, I realised that, you know, if I just did what everybody else was doing, and, and in Australia, like, for example, property is becoming a really saturated hobby. Mm. Like there's, you know, every man and their dog has, has opinions on it. Um, but I think if you do everything, the same thing everybody else is doing, it's a, it definitely is a pathway towards financial freedom and wealth, but it's a slow one. Yeah. And um, so it was probably about that time that I started to look for people and mentors who had the results that I want, but they weren't necessarily celebrities. Yeah. They were, they were just quiet run of the mill investors who just had stumbled across or gone out of their way to explore the non-traditional pathways for investing. And, and that is unbelievably common. If you take a little drive or even just a walk around the suburb that I live in, it's extremely affluent. And if we go and sit up in the mall in the, and have a coffee in one of the outdoor cafes there, you will see a Bentley, a Ferrari, a Lambo, you know, $200,000 Mercs driving past the affluence that is around here where I live is incredible. And these people are either in business or they're in investing, but you've never heard of them. And you see these people get out of these like $200,000 cars. And I'm like, that dude's not a celebrity. He's nobody, but he's driving around in a Lambo. Um, but he has, he has a business that supplies, you know, 5,000 tradies around Australia and he's investing. And there's one particular guy around here that I, I see every now and then standing out the front of a bunch of different buildings. And I asked one of my mates one time, I said, you know who that guy is? Drives around the Lambo. He's got all that. He goes, yeah, yeah I know exactly who that guy is. Why is he way out the front of these buildings, like standing on the street, taking photos of them? And he goes, Rob, he owns them. I was like, oh, so there's plenty of people, as you say, out there that you could follow, that you can partner up with, that you can learn from, that you've never heard of before. How did you discover the people that you were looking for? Um, you know, I, I think the world's a relatively small place. And I think if you are looking in the right places, you can find people. But the, the main thing for me was um, I think I got off on the wrong foot with lots of people. There were lots of people's courses I did and educators who were very much smoke and mirrors. Oh. They, they made their money from the education and they didn't have the results to back it. Right. There might have been, you know, like a flimsy story of, you know, how they got to where they were being based on, you know, we, I did this investing, but when you sort of pulled the curtain back, there wasn't a whole lot of substance there. And so, you know, it's, you know, you talk to bankers, you talk to other investors, um, you just start to really, when, when you really start to study the space of investing, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people you can tap into. And, you know, I, I personally, for me, ethics and alignment around ethics was really important. Yeah. So I just gravitated to people who were generous and really kind in their, you know, desire to share. Well, what I know about you is that kind of that pigeonholes you right there, generous, kind, uh, and <laughs> way too giving sometimes with your time and, and whatnot as well, which is thank you. Nice. Thank you for sharing that goal in story, Selena. Right, I just want to move off uh, the goal in part of it and, and talk about your experience in property, particularly over the last 12 years. Here we are at the end or tracking to the last part of 2020. So 12 years puts you squarely in 2008. Oh my God, the GFC. So you've seen boom times on the lead up to that and you've seen that giant bust, particularly overseas and, and here in Australia as well. And I was wanting to know what it is that you 
learn about property investing and what you learn about yourself in the process of that boom and bust cycle, which was actually pretty short, really, from the end of the dot-com bust when that bubble burst in 2002 all the way to 2008. It's pretty relatively short space of time, right? Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, I mean, 2002, I, I had a, I think I might've had two or three properties under my belt, but I hadn't really done a whole lot. Um, when, when the global financial crisis hit, I had by that point built up, built up a, a nice portfolio of residential and commercial real estate. Um, you know, from the outside, it looked like I had ticked a lot of boxes. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter was I was um, cash strapped and up to my eyeballs in debt, like heavily, heavily geared. And Been I had, yeah, had no wriggle room whatsoever. And I pretty much, you know, I'd hit a wall with my borrowing capacity with the banks. And it was around that time that I started to question the logic of more being better. And I also started to question, even with the property that I had and the growth rate that was kind of like historic, I, I could see it was going to be another 20 to 25 years of just praying and hoping for the best for me to get to a point of being financially free. What a slog, right? That's a long oh, And I just thought, oh, my God, like there's, there's got to be an easier way. And so that was really the start of the journey just asking that question, what else, what else, what else, that led me into looking for non-traditional ways of investing, alternate strategies. Um, I started looking at investing in overseas markets and what that looked like and how it worked. And, you know, I was really fortunate that the training that I'd had as an accountant had really set me up for being really methodical. And so at that same time, lots of people getting their fingers burnt, mm. um, you know, getting swept up in the excitement of buying cheap property all over the world. With your credit card in America. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I certainly, you know, had a, a few nicks and cuts in, in that sort of part of the journey as well. But what it uncovered for me was a completely different framework and methodology and way of thinking about wealth and wealth creation. And and really the, the last 12 years has been about, you know, going down a million different rabbit holes of, you know, does this work? Does that work? And now what I realize is that if you do open your mind to the non-conventional, it can just give you exponential results very, very fast instead mm. of the slow path. Not like a 25 year time frame, right? Not at all. Not at all. And, you know, I have to qualify that though, by saying that I think the, the process of building capital has to be done through traditional pathways. Like sure. whether it's your business or you're investing in property, you need to build capital in a traditional way. Mm -hmm. But I think once you've got a reasonably good capital base behind you, then the game is how do you take that traditional capital and invest a small piece of it in unconventional ways to really make more money outside of mainstream. Yeah, I love the language that you use. You you need something to fuel your investments. You need something to fuel your portfolio, and it feels like uh, it feels like a, a that vernacular just really kind of resonates with me. In order to get somewhere, you've got to fuel it somehow. It doesn't matter what vehicle you're using, and property is just a vehicle, right? And that needs fuel like everything else, whether that's from business or some other traditional type. What about all these? I wanted to ask you some, I guess. Here, here we got, we got the freedom warrior on the go all in podcast. And I wanted to ask you some maybe pointed questions about property here, because there's a lot of gurus out there and a lot of things that seem too good to be true. And as you say, if you pull back the curtain and, and look pretty closely, it looks like their credentials are a little bit kind of weak or it's, or their foundations are built on a, on some sand. And it's just, if I kind of just blow on it a little bit, the whole thing's going to come undone. And you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it probably is. So what would you say to all the people out there about property education in Australia? Because a lot of it looks a little bit shady and scammy and they're promising all of these things. And I'm not here to bash anybody, but how can somebody be careful around that, that, that space? Because if they're interested in getting into property and doing all of these things, you don't want to get your fingers burnt by somebody in education who knows nothing about actually executing. Yeah, look, um, it's a really interesting point. I, I think uh, in the 20 odd years that I've been investing, I think that the interest in property has just 
exploded, yep. you know, almost the same sort of uh, uh, exponential growth as interest in tech and mobile phones. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there's no question that investing in property is one of the fastest ways to grow wealth. It, it definitely is. It's one of the most effective and one of the fastest if you buy the right property. And, you know, the purpose of education around property is to make sure you understand before you pull the trigger on a deal. And the only sort of asterisk that I think you just got to be really careful of is there's a lot of people out there who are, um, presenting uh, with all of the best intentions, and they might indeed have the best of intentions, but they're, um, I think uh, the expression, you know, a pig in lipstick is kind of comes to mind because mm. they're really trying to um, sell you something in particular. Yeah. And the education is almost just like a cosmetic thing that you see as the, you know, the investor, not the fact that really their motivations are propelled by what they sell. So I think that the two questions you probably have to ask yourself is, you know, are they trying to sell me something? You know, is there a motivation for them to be selling some product or some property? And if so, you know, do they get paid based on what I'm investing in? Mm. Uh, and then the second question is just to really um, explore, are they investing in their own stuff like their own um are they walking their own talk is probably the best way to say that like i think there's a lot of people who um talk about deals they did 20 years ago as the reference point for why they should be credible today and you know i want to know what what deal did you do last month yeah what deals are you doing today and you know i'm i'm certainly not here to say that i you know i'm the, the greatest educator in the world but I'm, you know, I'm kind of my, I guess my attitude is I'm, I'm driving this bus and, you know, I, de I definitely believe you have to be fierce about wanting to create wealth. You can't be apathetic about it. Mm. And um, I'm hoping to, you know, invite some people along the journey with me who want to be doing the same sorts of things that I'm doing. Um, and if it's not a fit for you, then great. But um, I think education is so, so important and you just want to be really careful whose view of the world you get wrapped up in. Yeah. I've been caught in the crossfire of that education a couple of times actually. And just for the, for the ladies and gentlemen listening or watching this on YouTube, um, some of the things that happened that I've experienced and you might've experienced. And if you're thinking about doing some property education courses, that's awesome. I'd encourage you to do that, but just, um, just hear this from, from my experience is that you spend a couple of thousand dollars buying a ticket to an event that goes for a couple of days. They get great education, but you can't get all of the information unless you buy the ticket to the next event or unless you join their mastermind group or unless you do something else. And it leaves you really deflated thinking, well, I came here to get A, B and C and you only gave me A to get B and C. I've got to buy in and get more. What the hell? Um, so that, that had happened to me uh, on two separate occasions, in fact, and it was very annoying and very frustrating. And, you know, can you ask for your money back? Yeah, you can. And there's a lot of kicking and screaming. There's a bunch of things that go wrong, but that's where I, I think in some ways there's a bit of an oversupply of, of education in the market. And those people, as you say, quite rightly are making money from the education and look all power to them. They're, they're, they probably help a lot of people in the process and they probably get a lot of people across the line. And, you know, I, I never went into those courses expecting that they were going to create a miracle for me. I always knew that I was going to learn something and it's up to me to apply that, you know, so, you know, you've got to do with all the information in the world won't mean anything unless you actually do something with it. So it's a really, important thing that people understand what they're getting into when they're buying into that type of education. And I'm wondering over the years, have, have you ever had your fingers burnt with something similar? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think my, uh, my education or, or money lost is probably up around the half a million mark. Um, so yeah, no, it's definitely been an experience, but I think the reality is that um, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Mm. So I, you know, I, I personally feel it's a, it's an interesting dilemma because I, you know, I'm, I'm an educator. So, you know, my, my top level course is, is not cheap. Um, and, you know, part of my dilemma is how do I, how, how do I make it affordable so that I can help more people? Um, but yeah, I think there's always going to be levels of access with different educators and, and different mentors. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you want a, really good outcome, 
you got to have to expect to pay for it. And I think, you know, the same goes with accountants and lawyers and any advice professionals. You, you want to understand what you're getting and make sure you're crystal clear about that before you commit. Yeah, the really good thing about uh, today's world that we live in is you can fact check just about everything that you need to fact check while somebody's saying it to you. Um, you know, that's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing as a consumer. It's a curse as a as a vendor of any description, really. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people to do their research and do their homework so they know what they're getting themselves into before they take the leap and dive in. Absolutely. Selena, thank you so much for, for sharing your views on education and whatnot. And look, I'm not here to bash education or say anything good or bad, or I'm, I'm just kind of highlighting my experience and my anecdote of what I've experienced in the property space. And you know what I've, you know, on the other side of that coin, I've experienced some incredibly positive things as well. Um, at one point I paid a couple of thousand dollars to go and do a seminar on the other side of that, had some incredible things happen unbelievable support. So I'm all for it. That's just one of those industries where there seems to be an oversupply of people that are out there. And it's like, really, are all of these people experts in this space? But look, I, I would encourage the listeners and the viewers to uh, to do their homework and to do their research and actually dive in and have a crack because you're never going to score a goal unless you get on the field and have a go at it. And it kind of segues nicely into what it is that you do with Freedom Warrior and, and how you help your clients. Let's talk about the name first, because when I first met you, Freedom Warrior was something that I really kind of resonated with. And I love the idea of that because being an entrepreneur and a business owner is all about freedom. For me, once upon a time, it was how big can your bank account get? Uh, But as I get a little bit older, it's less about that and more about how much time have I got to do whatever the hell I want to do whenever I want to do it. Now it's that choice thing that I'm looking for, which is ultimately freedom. But in order to get that freedom, you've got to be a warrior. You've got to be deliberate. As you say, you can't be apathetic about that at all. And you've got to fight and you've got to fight hard because the business world that you that you live in or I personally exist in to get the fuel that I need to invest the things in the things that I want to invest in to help me fuel my future um, is vicious and it's tough and you really do have to be a warrior. Is that that's kind of my view of the name? I love the name. I just wanted to hear your your background and where it all came from. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm probably not as militant and fierce as you are by a long shot, but um, I. I I think what I've witnessed over the last 20 years is that people create wealth in silos. They're really embarrassed about it. They certainly don't talk about it openly. There's, you know, there's kind of like barbecue talk about, oh, you know, I bought this share or I bought this property. But the actual pursuit of wealth is almost considered shameful. Um, And the reason for that is I I think that uh, there's a perception that if you want to create affluence and wealth in your life that you must be doing it at somebody else's expense. Mm. And, you know, I think when I really thought about that deeply, that didn't resonate for me at all. Um, I think if you're um, secretive or you don't pursue wealth um, with full vigor, then you're going to get results that are on par with that. Yeah. Um, I think if you're committed and you do, you know, you really, you really have to be, I think the two um, attributes that people have told me that I have is um, dogged determination and perseverance. Mm. And it's not that I'm, you know, out there and loud and, you know, trying to brag about my pursuit of wealth. And it's not about that. It's, it's about, you know, being quietly determined to get a particular result and, you know, be open to not giving up and exploring lots of different opportunities. So warrior is really a reference to the mindset that you need mm-hmm. um, more than anything else. And, you know, I, I think if I look at and, and I talk to people all the time who have great aspirations around creating wealth, but they're really um, almost embarrassed about it and, in my opinion, you know, the, the extension of that metaphor is perhaps that makes you somewhat more of a soldier mm-hmm. rather than, than a warrior, um, which is subtle in its distinction, but a soldier is sort of like someone who does the same things that everybody else is doing, um, whereas a warrior is someone who, um, you know, finds their own pathway. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, soldiers don't become warriors until you go into combat. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the reality of it. You know, in, in, in business, in the civilian world, being in combat means going up against other people. And in the property space, it means bidding against other people. And I really want that property. And what am I prepared to do to get it? And how am I going to position it? And how, what do I have to do in my portfolio and my bank accounts and my banking and my documents? What do I, you really got to fight to actually make that happen. And if the pursuit of wealth is not strong enough or that desire is not strong enough, all the admin and all the work you've got to do to make that happen will kind of deflate you pretty quickly because there's a lot of effort to buy property and it's a lot of effort to be in investments and to do all those sorts of things. I know for me in business, um, I often get shopped around. That hop, that happens, right? Because consumers are, are fact-checking you and, and they're shopping you as you're talking to them or they're reading your email, they're opening up another tab and going, well, they're Googling how much is that going to cost versus how much is this going to cost? And so that that for me is a version of fighting. You got to fight for it. Do I really want that client? Do I really need that $25,000 deal to come off? Is that going to be more trouble than it's worth? And then, you know, the, the payoff in all of those things determines whether or not you keep moving forward and, and fighting for what it is that you want. And oh my gosh, there's been so many times where I go, you know what, just be easy to have a job. I'm sick of this fight. I'm sick of, I'm sick of being shopped around. I'm sick of all of these things, but that's where it comes back full circle. If I can bring that full circle back into education, particularly around investing, whatever type of investing that is, how, how is it that you help your clients? What is the Freedom Warrior program? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can. I think um, the only asterisk I'll just put on that last conversation that we were having is that I, I don't believe you have to step on other people. To, Absolutely not. To, to get wealthy. I, I don't I, think, I don't feel like it's a competitive space. What I, what I feel more is that, you know, what you want to do is you want to invest that in, from a place that's not FOMO, fear of yep. missing out or thinking that you've got to beat somebody else in the market. And in my opinion, the best way to do that is to build a killer network mm. um, because then there's no, you, you're not fighting other people. You're not, you know, trying to fight for deal flow. Um, and so that's really, you know, the asterisks that I would put on that whole freedom warrior uh, sort of metaphor. So t- um, tell us about that network. Network in property? What the hell? Uh, look, uh, again, I, I think we're, we've been conditioned a little bit in Australia to believe that, you know, we have to create wealth under our own steam. Mm. You know, we can read the magazines, we can get the education, um, but majority of us are out there looking for deals on our own. Um, unless we're using a buyer's agent or unless we're working with a property group that supplies us with property, which, you know, was one of the things I said to, to watch out for. Um, most of us are just out there trying to figure out where we should be putting our money. And the, the challenge is there's so much noise out there. You know, here's a great hotspot and here's a great hotspot and this is the area that's going to have the highest capital growth over the coming decade and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Whereas for me, what really reduced a lot of that noise was creating a network of people who could supply me with killer deals well before I even have the capital to pull the trigger, Mm. who steer me in the right direction when things become a little uncertain, who act as a board of advisors for me to help me, you know, make the best decisions Um, So network for me was probably the single greatest transformation in the results that I was getting um, when I started to realise the value of network. Um, So it's not about going out and necessarily finding one mentor. Mm. It's about going out and finding all the people who within their strategy or in their sphere, you know, have 30, 40 years experience and when called on can really support you or supply you. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, such a, um, it's such a, a normal concept in business. You think about networking and as an individual, you think about networking, but investing in property, do you think about a network? Until I'd met you, I'd never ever thought of property in that way before. And then as you say, like we've been conditioned to think that way, to operate in silos that I'm looking for a deal and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at domain and I'm going, well, that looks like a good deal. Or I'm talking to a buyer's agent and he puts something in front of me. And it's sort of like, yeah, I've, I, don't, I don't know. Where did I get that conditioning from? How come I'm operating in that silo? Why is that 
happening and doing that with some other people is a hell of a lot more fun. That's the first thing because you can talk about it. And um, when things go wrong and things always go wrong, I, I like the ability to share. And I'm not saying that things are going to go wrong with your group, but when things have gone wrong, someone always goes, oh man, that's nothing. You should have seen how much money I lost or should have seen what happened over here. And it sort of, it definitely makes me feel better when something like that is happening. And you, you can't underestimate the, the moral support and the, the personal support at the same time, right? Totally. Look, I'm really lucky that I've just met people along the way who, yeah, they have the results I want. They're already financially free and have been for decades. Mm-hmm. And what's great about some of these people is they really want to pay it forward and, and share part of, you know, how they got where they got. And, you know, it's really great when things like COVID and other, you know, disasters and, and market resets happen to understand how to discern what to do and how to be the in the position, the fortunate position where, those things have become irrelevant. Um, you know, the, the, I think the expression which I might have shared with you before is, you know, when in a rising market, all turds rise to the surface. Yep. And then when the tide goes out, um, yeah, it, they don't. So um, I think the, the idea is that, um, you know, any, any, anyone can make money when the, when the market's going up. Yep. Um, and sometimes people spend too much time congratulating themselves on how good they are in those times. But then when, when crisis hits or the market wobbles massively or there's uncertainty, sometimes some of those things just don't work out. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting, interesting point. One of the things that um, I, I learned about investing way back when, when we we're in property, cause I exited all that property, as you know, uh, just to be in business was the returns that we were getting were just no good the outgoing cost of the mortgage because of the rising interest rates. And we really got kind of poleaxed by that. That's really what happened to us, you know, and then we end up, you end up upside down in, in something. So the outgoing cost of it versus keeping it versus selling it and cashing out of it. The, the numbers just made sense. Get out of the bloody thing and don't worry about it. Cut your loss. Don't be emotionally not attached to it anyway. Um, but I was always getting a better return out of business anyway. And the amount of money that I get from business in terms of a percentage in profit that I can pocket versus what I would get in property was always significantly higher. But at the same time, my net worth is not really growing with business because I'm not investing into something that's an appreciating asset. So if I take the profits out of it, that's good. I live a good lifestyle and I've got good cash flow, and I can eat when I want and tap my card whenever the hell I want and I can buy whatever I want but the value of me as an individual hasn't gone up as much as it would as if I had have remained into property or something like that. So what I learned in all of that process was what I should never accept and what I'm not really prepared to accept anymore ever again is something that's performing in a negative fashion. So if I've invested into something and that's something supposed to be appreciating and going up in value, I shouldn't have to pay money into it if it's a property. So I don't like the idea of negative gearing something Negative gearing has its place in the world, um, apparently only in Australia, but it has a place in our economy and it has a place to help us and to do a bunch of different things. But my experience had been that ultimately that was the undoing of um, our portfolio that we had at the time. And, you know, I, I really think that the thing that kind of leads you to the wealth and the financial freedom that you want is cash flow. But how can somebody get cash flow out of property? when the average return that you get is something about 2% in Australia, it's pretty low. You have to have a lot of money in property to actually make some money out of it. Well, there's so much, so much gold in that. Um, I think the first comment I'd make is that there's no argument from me that the highest ROI that you get um, if you incorporate business into your thinking as being an investment mm. is from business. Like there's no questions, no argument. What I would also say, though, is that, you know, if I think about the hundreds of people who I've spoken to in business over the years, a lot of them have made, no, they recognize the need to invest outside of their business. And most people understand that. And a lot of people that I speak to are in tremendous amounts of financial hemorrhage in terms of cash flow when they look at their property portfolio. But they're almost able to or prepared to turn a blind eye to it because their business is generating so much cash. Mm. So it's, it's really easy to mask. And provided the overall value of that portfolio is going up, 
it's completely tolerable. And when I speak to people, some of them to some degree are in that situation where they love their businesses, they recognise that they've created a successful business, but they're, they're also tired of the hustle. Yeah. And the frustration is I've built all this net worth, I've built these investments, I've done the right things, but even if I sold my business today for a fat paycheck, I wouldn't know how to deploy that money to create an income stream that's meaningful. Yeah. And so for me, this is where the role of alternative investments and, and unconventional investing comes in because in my world, it's very easy to get investment returns of 8 to 15% all day long. Hold on, hold on. Lent hold on. full returns. Hold on. Um, eight, 8 to what? 8 to 15, sometimes a little more. Percent That's per annum, net, net, net returns. Yes. Net up close to the microphone, net. Net returns. <laughs> so that's. And, you know, I, I need to qualify, you know, you need to understand that there's different yeah, strategies and um, there's ways to safely access those deals. But the point I'm making is that um, I'm not advocating that you would liquidate everything you've got and throw all your money into something like that because it has the highest ROI. What I'm advocating is if you take the smallest piece of your wealth and put a little bit into the unconventional and alternative, you can 5X your income. And that's the game. It's not about putting all of your wealth into the highest ROI. It's about how do you drag up the income that you generate outside your business so that you've got the choice to run your business or not. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, most of the business owners I talk to don't have the choice. Yeah, right. It's, a, it's such an interesting topic to me uh, in business because I spend a large part of my week diversified, I suppose, into higher risk, lower risk, really super slow stuff and really super fast stuff as well. And, and by that, I, I mean, I work with a bunch of different people and there's varying different opportunities amongst all of those things. And I position myself in my business, in my market to create multiple revenue streams. And uh, it's a really nice place to be in business when you've got multiple revenue streams, but then I'm not tied to the business. I don't have to be at that, at my desk all day, every day from nine, like I'm trading like I'm day trading or something like that to watch a market. I don't have to be there because I know in the background it's ticking along nicely. And with returns like you're talking about there, that can happen for somebody pretty quickly. And you don't have to have a huge amount of capital to invest because of the power of that beautiful thing called compounding, right? Totally. And and I think the, um, the big qualifier that I have to sort of mention now since we've touched on it is alternative or unconventional. It, it doesn't mean weird and risky. Um, I think I've been trolled a couple of times of recent because people just say it's not possible to get a net return of 8% when we can barely get 1% to 2% in traditional property. Um, unconventional just means uh, beyond conventional wisdom. And in fact, as people start to understand how some of these strategies work, the you know the feedback has been, geez, these are actually less risky than me tying up 800,000 into a single investment property here in Australia. Yeah. If I can do 15 investments in a diversified way, spread across different geographies, different deal makers, different downside protection, different types of deals versus all of that money in one deal, it's a no-brainer. So I think the um, the reality is just because it's unfamiliar doesn't make it risky. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I just want to pre-qualify that. It sounds like a whole lot easier than sitting in front of a chart trying to predict the future. Oh my God. Yeah. Chalk and cheese. <laughs> well, it's different, isn't it? Right. Because property is a known quantity and the stock market is a nefarious thing controlled by robots and algorithms. And there's just no, no right or wrong. There's only an outcome, right? If you want your outcome to be day trading style, then go and stick with that. But I love the idea of the alternative property because you can know the numbers. Maybe can you give a couple of examples of an alternative type investment that somebody might not have heard of before? Because you've thrown that vernacular around a little bit here on this podcast, but you haven't really defined it. So maybe we can get that definition. Yeah, look, um, great question. I think, um, you know, there's, there's probably seven or eight strategies that sort of sit in my mind in the, in the alternative space. Um, 
you know, I'm not inventing anything here. These strategies exist and have existed for a long time. The challenge that we have is that, you know, they're not plentiful in volume in, mm. in the Australian market, hence why I, I sort of take a global perspective. But um, an example might be a property syndication um, where you, you know, the, the definition of a property syndication is where you find um, one asset uh, and you work with someone to improve the value of that asset and the intention is for it to be resold. The exciting part of syndications in the alternative world is that you're generating cash flow from day one mm -hmm. and there's a really nice profit to be shared in at the end of the deal, which could be sort of two or three years. Um, another example, uh, joint ventures. I love joint ventures because it means that, you know, you're, you've got skin in the game with somebody else. Um, it's one of the easiest ways to sort of, dip your toe into a potential new strategy. An example of this might be uh, where I, I go in as a lender um, with, a, you know, someone who already owns a house, but they're looking for a small loan um, to maybe do some improvements. And I get paid a 10% rate of interest for 12 months. And then maybe on top of that, I get a profit share, mm. um, which pushes up my overall return. And, and, those sorts of deals, I think the thing to understand is consistently finding good deals is not as actually easy as it sounds. Um, there's a lot of sharks and charlatans out there for sure who tell you that they can do it. Um, but I think the reality is the world is full of undervalued opportunities. And part of, you know, part of the journey that I try to take, um, you know, my clients on is I want them to become world-class at vetting opportunities and doing good due diligence. Yeah. I want people to value control. Um, I think too often we make investment decisions because someone else has told us it's a good idea. Mm. So really the skill I believe of a professional investor is knowing what questions to ask, what numbers to look at, how to really get into the nitty gritties of, do I want to work with this person? Um, do Does this deal stack up? Um, so that what you're doing is you're gradually building a portfolio that you feel really confident about and, you know, where you're developing really great cash flow in the process. Awesome. Awesome. It's, uh, it's really interesting to hear about alternative investments, but I want to bring the, uh, the podcast full circle right at the very start. You said there was four things that somebody should work on if they want to improve their investing results. And you said you'd be happy to share them. So can you share those four things with us? Yeah, sure. The, uh, the four pillars, uh, and they're certainly not secret source, but you know, I, I think it's a great formula for people to understand is number one is mindset how you think about wealth, how you relate to wealth, the frameworks you use to build wealth, really, really important. And there's so much education in that space, but constantly working on how your relationship with money, how that looks like, that's really, really important. The, the second thing is investment effectiveness. So what I'm talking about when I talk about investment effectiveness is I often meet people who have cranking businesses, who've developed huge cash cows, and they've gone out and they've bought, you know, a reasonably large portfolio of properties, but they're not, they're mostly lemons. Lemons in the sense that they're underperforming, there's lots of lazy capital, they're not taking the investor in the direction that they want towards their goal. Mm. And so the reason that investment effectiveness becomes important is that, you know, you have to be careful that every investment you undertake is a fit for you, your risk profile and your goals. So, um, people lose um, traction because they choose the wrong investment. So investment effectiveness is, is the next thing and, and all of the things that go along with learning how to make good investment decisions. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing would be knowledge. So this is, you know, there's, there's two kinds of knowledge. There's the straight education and then what I call wisdom and wisdom is the stuff that maybe you're not going to get from a textbook. Wisdom is the stuff that maybe you're going to learn by talking to people who have the results that you want. Yeah. Uh, and then the fourth attribute is network, which we've, we've already touched on. Mm -hmm. um, 
recognize the need to surround yourself with people who will be with you for the long journey, the long game, um, people who themselves play the long game, people who you can turn to because they either provide deal flow or mentorship or support or give you the, you know, professional advice that you need. So yeah, those four pillars, if you can focus on always which is your weakest one at any particular time and, th- and th- that'll ebb and flow over time. Of but I'm constantly asking the what else across those four attributes. Selena, if, if people wanted to join the Freedom Warrior program and learn more about those four pillars and the other things that you teach and access your network, et cetera, what's the best way for them to do that? And who is that program for? How do they, how do they get involved if somebody's listening to this? So Freedom Warrior was designed, um, you know, really for business owners who are at a stage in their lives where they're really wanting to build passive income outside of their business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessary that they've already done a whole lot of investing. It's not about investing experience that qualifies them. It's, um, you know, for people who have, say, half a million to a million in deployable capital that they want to put in the world and have it work pretty hard for them. Um, they need to be, you know, open to the unconventional. Um, you know, they need to be good people. That's, that's really important. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think the, the easiest way for people to really find out about it is to look me up on socials. And um, obviously I've got my own podcast too. Listen to that. That'll give you a bit more insight into my philosophy. But um, yeah, as I said before, I think the, the metaphor is I'm, I'm kind of driving this bus anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for business owners who want to be part of the journey um, and who want killer results in the next, say, three years. Love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this as a podcast, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to Selena's socials and her website will be right there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll down and all of the details are right there so you don't have to go poking around in Google for any of that information. As we uh, bring this podcast to its conclusion and right towards the end, we're bumping up against an hour here that goes so quickly when we're talking about subjects that we love. I know that for sure. I can't let you leave the Go All In podcast without putting you in the Go All In podcast hot seat. A little bit of fun to close it out. Being from sunny Canberra, I mean, <laughs> the frozen desert in between Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> it's freezing in winter and it's a desert in summertime. Have you got a favourite holiday destination? This COVID thing's really got me down at some point. I, I'd love to get on a plane and go somewhere, but it's not happening uh, anytime soon. Is there somewhere nearby that you love to visit that I should be, get on my bucket list and go and do in New South Wales maybe? Oh, in New South Wales. Oh, wow. Well, I have to say I um, we did a road trip in June that was phenomenal before all the borders closed. And we went all the way up the coastline to up to Kajarina and back. Nice. And uh, I think one of the most spectacular places that I don't hear much about was actually Port Macquarie. Yes. Yeah, nice, isn't it? Uh, really nice. It was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, uh, if you're thinking of somewhere to go, that's a little bit off the beaten path, not particularly touristy, mm. um, highly recommend just four hours from Sydney as well. That's definitely uh, definitely on the list. Well, I'll see you down at Bateman's Bay this week down there. So we're going yeah. to Norway. So I'll meet you down there. We're going to have a cup of coffee for lunch. That'll be fun. Really looking forward to that. Tell me, uh, what's a skill that you're working on at the moment that you haven't quite mastered? Oh, look, I, I really fancy myself as a uh, Latino dancer. And uh, <laughs> I... So Zumba. Zumba? I don't know. Well, Zumba kind of gives me access to a bunch of them, but um, <laughs> I think uh, Samba. I'd love to be a great Samba or Flamenco dancer. Right. Something tango. I don't know. Like, yeah. Professional dancer was the alternate career I had when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> you a business owner or a dancer, one or the other? Damn. You should have followed your dream. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, Selena, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Oh, wow. Best business advice. I think um, really honing your intuition is really important. I think, um, you know, I've had a tendency to look outside myself for the answers. Mm -hmm. And as I, you know, get older and, and, you know, more wrinkled, I I recognize that if if I'm still 
and I stop the busyness of the mind, I often, I often know the answer myself. So mm. I think honing and developing good gut feel and intuition is really, really important. Beautiful. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And that's a piece of advice I need to take more for myself as well. Thank you for sharing that one. So if people want to connect with you directly, what's the, the best way to do that? Well, well, I'm definitely across all the socials, but um, yeah, I think um, I've got a Facebook page, Selena Kulkarni. Mm-hmm. Um, love to hear from you there or on LinkedIn. Awesome. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, just take a little peek at your phone and all the links to Selena's socials and website are right there and just scroll down in YouTube there so you can see them in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Go All In podcast. We've been working together now for a couple of months. It's been a hell of a lot of fun, but it's nice to have a break and do something actually fun and do this. It's really cool. I wanted to give you the opportunity for the parting comment, the final piece of wisdom from Selena Kilkarni. What have you got for us today? Well, I would actually like to share a quote that a friend of mine, Brent Williams, says often at the end of his programs, which is, do the thing that you said you would do long after the mood that you were in has passed. Love it. Beautiful value right there at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Selena. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Perfect. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Selena, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to her website and socials are right there. And Selena's LinkedIn is right there as well. So make sure you reach out to her and say g'day. Now, as you know, the world is changing at a faster pace and in a direction that none of us could have ever anticipated. The way that we work, the way that we earn income and the way that we communicate is changing and it's changed forever. And my question to you is, are you keeping up with that change or are you being left behind? If you're just starting out in business, considering a business, or even if you've been a seasoned entrepreneur for years, then I've created a masterclass that will give you the strategies and the tactics to get you moving, gather the momentum you need and break through to the next level. If you'd like to find out some more about the masterclass, hop over to goallin.com.au and click on masterclass. Now, if you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you can reach out to me via the GoAllIn socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au and click on the contact tab and you can drop me a message right there through the website. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time.